It's a really familiar reading, um, and the familiarity of that reading breeds a little bit of, well, there's a little bit of danger with it. The familiarity, I, I don't, I, man, I can't tell you how many um, really, really cute kids I've seen dressed up like shepherds and like sheep, and sometimes like other animals that were very, has a low likelihood of being there. I think one of my sons was a zebra one time. Um, in a nativity play, but, but seeing this scene uh, in, it, in the way we often de depict it makes, sometimes can make it seem like uh, it's a child's story. Uh, it is a ch ch uh, story for, child, for children, but it is also a story for all of us, for adults. In fact, it, it poses a very, very important question. Let me set it up this way. When you look at that reading, there's something very um, striking and maybe dangerous that happens. Did you notice? The shepherds go from not having a clue about who this Jesus is, not even having heard of him at all, they go from that to utter stark raving fear, but then finally at the end, they end up in joy, and it's a joy of allegiance. They give their allegiance to this kid. Now that's a little odd. Usually goes the other way around if it's going to happen anyway at all. And my question is this, why is it a good thing? Is it a good thing? Why in the world do they give their unfettered, unquestioned allegiance to this child? And they do it with joy. They don't do it by coercion. They don't do it because they're being forced. They do it voluntarily. They give themselves fully to this leader, despite the fact that the leader is still an infant. Now, it, that's odd. Is that not odd? And, and it brings up a little bit of a thing, because um, a lot of us, I, it seems to me, a lot of us, I don't know if this is true of you, but a, for a lot of us, um, trusting leaders is tough. Uh, because we've seen a lot of bad ones. We've been influenced by a lot of bad ones. And therefore, we're slow to trust. And you can fill in the blank of whatever bad leader you want to put in there. But a lot of us are slow to trust leaders and suspicious of unquestioned allegiance. And we have good reason to be. And I want to know why in the world the shepherds give their allegiance to this little kid. Let's get into the story. Look at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, pause there. It's interesting, isn't it, that it starts with Caesar. Uh, Caesar, and not just any Caesar, it starts with Augustus. And, and he's the big guy, right? He's the Caesar that, in many respects, all the rest of the Caesars that come after him are based off of. He's the model. He's the he's this gold standard. And therefore, as you begin reading this, if you're from that era, the, you know, if anybody deserves your allegiance or demands your allegiance, it's going to be Caesar. And perhaps he's got good reason. He's accomplished a lot by this point. He uh, controls the entire Mediterranean world. The Mediterranean Sea was a lake for him. And he had, he had established a kind of peace, what later on would be called the Peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. However, and this is important, it was a peace that Caesar accomplished through coercion. And you can see that coercion in the reading. So you get Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph live in Nazareth, Nazareth, which is northern Israel, uh, but they have to travel south 
to Bethlehem, southern Israel, and they have to do that because Augustus is making them register for his census. But don't be, don't be mistaken that census was not just a sociological study. It, it, was a, it was an act of coercive power. Caesar is counting his people so that he can control his people. It's supporting his peace, but it is a peace that is through coercion, and you can feel the weight of Caesar's coercive power as you read this reading. And that's, you know, an intuitive way, that, you know, coercive way of leading. It's, a, it's an intuitive way to lead. It might be a pragmatic way to lead. It might get a lot done. It might achieve a kind of allegiance. But now, what I want to, I show you that in order to show you the contrast. Look back at the reading. Watch how Jesus gets introduced. So you remember the story, Mary and Joseph go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, and they do the whole, uh, there was no, in, no room in the inn thing, uh, which we're just going to skip over for the most part. Jesus gets born, put in the manger, you know that story. But then immediately, as soon as Jesus is born and placed in the manger, the camera angle shifts immediately. Did you notice that? The camera angle has been looking at Joseph and Mary and then the child, but then it swings out of the stable, out of town, out to the countryside, to a bunch of shepherds. Why shepherds? Well, I don't know. They're the lowest of the... They're, they're not very high-status people. But then verse 9 happens. We see some very high-status individuals. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I don't know what it looked like for them, um, but clearly they saw angels, and not just one, they saw a bunch of them, and they saw something like dazzling light. But whatever it is specifically that they saw, what was impressed upon them was majesty and glory and power, enormous power. And notice their response. It is not yet joy. It's fear. You see that? Did you know? That Christmas is scary? We don't usually talk about that. Uh, normally we talk about things like uh, peace and joy and love and hope, and, and we'll get there. It, it, that's totally appropriate. But before any of that happens, it's scary. Why is Christmas scary for the shepherds? It's scary because it means that God is breaking into our world, and if God is breaking into our world, then that means that we have to deal with them. Um, and that's scary. I, I, um, it's scary when things that you don't think are going to pop out at you do, right? Uh, one time I was um, at a play, and I would, my wife remembers this. It was about 21 years ago. It, it has stuck in my brain. I was in the, we were, both of us, in the front row, very front row, little tiny theater in Hollywood, and it was a, it was a fine play, but all of a sudden, without, without any warning, this actress ran out on, ran off stage, grabbed my hand, pulled me off stage, and started dancing, apparently with me, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't dancing, um, but I was terrified, I was absolutely petrified, and I looked back at my wife and pleaded for her to join, and I, it was, why was it scary? Because um, the, the invisible barrier that we all take comfort in uh, fell in that moment, and I was in the play, and it scared me to death, and I never went back to that play. 
Um, and, but that's what happens here. Some of us take security in the fact that you're very, we are very confident, some of us, that God will never engage with our lives. And maybe that's the way the, way the shepherds were. But they were disabused of that in this moment, and they were frightened. However, there was another layer to their fear, and the other layer of their fear comes from the fact that they were shaped by the Hebrew Scriptures. They were shaped by what we often call the Old Testament, um, not least the first reading that we had just heard. And they knew that there was a kind of darkness that light needed to be brought into. And, and, and the imagery of darkness carries a lot of things, but in the Old Testament, it, it also carries this theme. All through the Old Testament, we find out that humanity, every single one of us and all of us together, have typically given our allegiance to things like injustice and evil and corruption. But then we also learn that all through the Old Testament that God is not like that, that God is fundamentally committed to justice and virtue and righteousness. And because we are committed in one way and God is committed to the other, it means that there is an inevitable conflict, and it means that there's a separation. And one of the ways that that separation and, and conflict is described all through the scriptures is by darkness. And that's why God's scary, in part, for the shepherds. Because if light is shining on that dark night, then it's not just a literal light, it's also a figurative light that means that there's, they're afraid that because God is good and they deep down know that they are not, that they are going to... There's going to be a conflict with God and they're going to lose. They're scared. But then it starts to change. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, watch. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. That's also a reference to the first reading. Who is Christ the Lord? And this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Remember the question. Why do these shepherds give their allegiance by the end joyfully to this child? And there's two things that explain the change. On the one hand, they see Jesus' humility. And secondly, they see his mission. First of all, they see his humility. The angels say the sign, the indicator that all the, the good news that I've just shared with you has taken place, the sign is going to be you're going to find this kid wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying where kids aren't supposed to lay, namely a manger. Now, careful, because that's tame and con conventional to us. But it is not tame or conventional to them. It was shocking. And just think about how shocking it must have been. They had just seen the majesty of God, light shining down on them, and it frightened them because they knew that they were in the darkness. They had just seen the majesty of God. They had seen angels. They had been dazzled with light. And in that moment, almost certainly they knew from that moment of seeing the angels that the God that they served or the God with, that was breaking in on them was greater and stronger and more majestic and more to be feared than Caesar. And it scared them. It did not yet delight them. But that changed when they saw the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger because when they looked at Jesus, they saw majesty harnessed by humility. 
Now, if you're gonna trust anybody, a little, little bit of an aside, if you're gonna trust anybody, I recommend trusting a leader who is both powerful and at the same time humble. Majesty and power must be harnessed by humility in order for trust to be reasonable. Uh, Caesar was very, very powerful, but not humble. Uh, instead, he was selfish and arrogant and therefore exploitative. You don't want to trust a leader like that. On the other hand, it's not, a, it's not very helpful to trust to find somebody who claims to be a leader but has no power but is very, very humble. Uh, let that person be your friend, but don't trust them as your leader. Power and humility have to go together in order for it to be reasonable to trust a leader. They've got to unite. And when the shepherds saw Jesus lying in a manger, what they were seeing was infinite power, which they had just witnessed outside, and now they're seeing, seeing infinite humility. They're watching power and humility both go extreme. It's not that majesty is lessened as humility increases. It's that both of them go extreme. And they had never imagined that that could possibly happen. They had glimpsed God's majesty, and now they see his humility and they see it's infinite because they were looking right there at God himself. And that's when Christ won their allegiance. When they saw his majesty shining through his humility. But then on the other hand, the shepherds also saw Jesus' mission. Look at verse 14. Look for the word peace. The angels say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, peace is also a, it's a really charged word. Uh, and in their context, it does not mean uh, inward serenity, inward individual serenity. What peace, the Old Testament Hebrew word is shalom. What it means is justice reigns and, recon and relationships are reconciled. That's when peace is is achieved. And the reason the angels are proclaiming peace is because they call Jesus the Savior in verse 11. And so put it together for the shepherds. The shepherds look at Jesus. They see his majesty shining through his humility, and then they also see this Savior who promised peace through reconciliation. Caesar achieved peace through coercion, but this one that they're looking at, this child promises peace through reconciliation. And everybody knew, every, deep down everybody knew that Caesar's peace was a phony kind of peace. It might be the best that you can do, but it's ultimately a phony kind of peace. But when the shepherds looked at Jesus, they see the one who gives real peace, not phony peace, but real peace, real peace through real reconciliation. They knew that they had been afraid of God, a few minutes before this, because they knew that they weren't reconciled to God, that they were walking in the darkness. But now when they look at Jesus, they see peace through reconciliation, and therefore a light has dawned in their darkness. It's remarkable. They see God. Do you realize what this is? This is God approaching them humbly. Can you see why they're full of joy? And can you see why they willingly, unreservedly, and joyfully surrender their allegiance. And I think it's important for us tonight to can remember just how elusive reconciliation is. I mean, we, I, I think a lot of us know that a good leader is hard to find. 
And it's easy, it's easy for me to be cynical because a lot of them seem selfish and arrogant. And to the extent that I'm a leader, I'm very afraid of those things in my own heart. Because the problem goes deeper. The problem isn't just in leaders out there. The problem is selfishness and arrogance and exploitative inclinations of our heart. They are not, the leaders that we distrust do not hold monopoly on those things. Those things are things we all taste of. We are all in one way or another guilty. And we're going to know that in the next few days because some of us in this room, in the next 36 hours, some of us here are going to experience terrible loneliness. You know it's true. And some of us are going to experience conflict. And many of us will remember painful, grievous things in these next few days. Christmas always stirs up pain because Christmas always reminds us of how elusive reconciliation is and the brokenness of our relationships. And it also reminds us that not only have we been victimized in this world, but also we have hurt others. And that's why we need someone like Jesus. We need peace through reconciliation. And so tonight, the joy of this night is not the joy, it's not simply the joy of gathering with family and sitting around table, good as that is, and I hope you enjoy it. The joy of this night is Jesus Christ, God himself, reaching out to us, coming to us humbly, saying, I am not like Caesar, and I'm not like the leaders who have hurt you. I am not like the, I may, I'm not like the family that you don't want to sit with tomorrow. My majesty shines through my humility, says Jesus to us tonight. And I have done all things necessary to reconcile. Because Jesus is both God and perfectly and fully human. And he grew up and he died upon the cross and he rose again and he did all of that. He suffered all the worst that this world can give us and give him. He suffered all of it, though he was not guilty for any of it. It all came down on him and in a remarkable way, in his death and resurrection, he achieved everything for peace through reconciliation. So he comes to you today and he says, will you receive my peace? And as we look at him and away from ourselves, and as we uh, follow the shepherds to the manger and to the baby and to the risen and reigning Lord and surrender joyfully our whole lives to him, there we will find the leader that we were made for but never imagined we could ever find. And there we will join with the joy of the shepherds, which is also the joy of the angels and is the joy of heaven and will be the eternal satisfaction of your soul. We will join with all of them and we will say glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.